hello and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Lori, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. But it's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Julie Lartz. For 45 years, Julie was obsessed and controlled by food. She was a yo-yo dieter that went from restriction to binging, and she felt miserably out of control. In 2010, Julie created a simple yet powerful process to finally become free from food addiction, which she explains in her book, Stop Binge Eating and Start Living Again. She coaches women worldwide about how to stop compulsive, emotional, and binge eating without dieting or deprivation. As you all know, if you follow the podcast or me in general on the socials, I am not about the restrictive life at all. And chatting to Julie was super interesting as she dives into her lived experience with food addiction and how to ditch the diets once and for all. In this episode, you'll learn how to create a healthy relationship with food and how to build your own self-trust. If you struggle with food addiction or emotional eating, you're going to want to tune into this one. How is it going this evening, Julie? I am doing great, thanks. I'm so excited to be here to talk with you. Same. I'm so excited to have you here as well. You know, a lot of the listeners know or people that have followed by TikTok or Instagram know that I'm so big on stress management and all of those behaviors that are driving, you know, maybe not eating optimally or training optimally and seeing your backstory and just that you're all about the food addiction side of things and that kind of cycle just makes me so excited to have you here today, Julie. But I do know that a lot of people that get into this sort of realm is because they've got some sort of story of their own. Usually it's because they went through some sort of journey. So can you tell me the context of what I would need to know to know why you help people in this way today? Yes. Well, you said it really well because I'm one of those people where my mess became my message. So I'll tell you about my mess and then we'll get into the message. So Starting when I was probably five years old, uh, my mom, and she she only meant well, so I have to say that up front, okay? She did the best she could, but she was preoccupied with my weight, with how I looked. I think in that era, image was so important mm. that she didn't want me to eat things that she would, let's say, let my brother eat. So cookies or candy, she just didn't want me to gain weight because then maybe I would be too heavy. I wouldn't get married. I wouldn't have children like that. I know was her thinking. But what ended up coming from that was when I started to see, even at that very early age, that I wasn't allowed to eat my favorite foods like cookies or ice cream or whatever, that I I felt like, well, if I can't eat these in front of my mom, I'm going to eat them in private Mm. when she's not looking. So I did that. So I would, even as I got older, I would take money from her wallet and bring it to school so I could get chocolate chip cookies. Like I was always on the lookout for when can I eat junk food? If I would sleep at a friend's house, it was really exciting because her mom wasn't looking at what I was eating. So if they had a box of Dunkin' Donuts, I would eat that and I would eat candy and ice cream and whatever else. And you know, I'd bring money with me if I knew maybe we would be able to go to um, a convenience store and I could get candy. So 
just from that early age, those thought processes turned into behaviors, like patterns, habits that became my story, that mm-hmm. I am a person who is deprived and I need to eat whenever I can. And I would eat when nobody's looking, whether it was, you know, my family when I was growing up or my college roommates or people that I worked with, you know, as I got older. And then even with my husband and my three sons, I would sneak and hide food wherever we were. I'd bring things with me, pack it in my purse. And I was basically like obsessed with and controlled by food. So whereas they were enjoying wherever we were as the family outing, I was with them physically, but emotionally, I was thinking, when is it lunchtime? When can I run off to the bathroom to eat this junk food? When can I sneak off to a concession stand and tell them I'm going to the bathroom? So that was, that's how I lived. It was tough. It was really, really tough. Mm. It sounds like food almost ruled your life, you know, having to think about the next time that you're going to get to have a treat. It really did. And I say that it's like I was having an affair with food. It was like Mm. this hidden thing that I wasn't supposed to do. Nobody could find out about it. But my mind was always there. You know, I was, my life really did revolve around food. Absolutely. That's crazy. And I feel like the relationship that you had with your mother isn't an uncommon one. I've certainly heard it from clients that they learned a lot of their eating habits and how they should feel about their body from their mothers and from their strong female figures. And a lot of people who weren't within an unhealthy weight range believed that they necessarily they had this issue just because that's, you know, that's what their mother said about their body. Can you dive into that relationship and how it defines your relationship with your own body? You mean the relationship with my mom? Yeah. Or just the relationship with um, the messaging that you were fed from your mom, because it might've been a good relationship, but it's just that messaging, which was normal at the time. Yeah. It really, I got mixed messages all the time. And that, you know, especially as a young kid, I didn't know what to make of it. So if we were going on vacation, I remember like sometimes my mother would say, oh, why don't you have such and such? So I was kind of like given permission. But then other times she'd look at my plate and be like, is that really what you're going to eat? Or gee, that's a big portion. So I never knew what to make of it, which added to the frustration, which made me feel even more like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. So, Mm. you know, we would go to like a buffet and that was really exciting for me. (laughs) The days we'd go to buffet. And the best part is if our table was in a different room than the buffet table, because then what I would do is, you know, I'd go um, into the room where the buffet was and I would look behind me to make sure, you know, no one in my family saw me. I would eat as many rolls or cookies or brownies as I could before I even got my salad. And then I would get the salad and I'd go back and sit down and eat salad. Then I'd go up, (laughs) eat more junk food. Then I'd have the main course. And, you know, I wasn't even enjoying it. I, I was so caught up in how much can I eat as quickly as I can. So, Yeah, everything really was food. And getting back to the situation with my mom, when I was, I think, 44, I finally told her, Mm. I finally had the nerve to say to her, um, you know, I want to tell you that 
I have something called binge eating disorder. And I remember when I approached her, my heart was pounding. I just felt like I couldn't hold on to this secret anymore. Yeah. And so I mentioned that to her. And I was hoping that she would say, oh, sweetheart, I didn't know. Like, I wish I knew I would have been there for you or come here, let me hug you. Let's figure this out. And that is not at all what happened. Mm -hmm. Instead, she said, how do you know that? Who told you such a thing? What would make you think that? And all I wanted to do was crawl under a rock because here I made myself so vulnerable and so open and I was so raw and real and I wasn't being heard or understood. Mm. That was that was really tough. That would have been so tough, Julie, because ultimately our parents are doing the best with the knowledge that they have. And then yeah. the next generation is always learning things. You know, maybe your boys will learn something and tell you and it'll be really triggering or, or vice versa, whatever it is. And right. it's so difficult when you finally work up the courage and your parents can't accept that or see any truth in that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So it it was tough. Tell me about your healing journey. So to me, it sounds like you had no idea that, you know, sneaking away in the movies to figure out when to eat your chocolate, you know, even when you're with your boys and your husband, that sounds like something that seemed normal to you. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but what did the journey look like for you to actually understand that you had this disorder? I knew since I was a young child because mm. it just it wasn't normal to be going ice skating with my friends and paying attention to oh let me get another hot chocolate or let me take something into the bathroom I mean I knew it just wasn't normal but I couldn't like it, as I was saying before like it became a habit and a pattern and I just thought okay this is me I I I don't know how to get out of this crazy lifestyle Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really knew early on um, and I did have and still do have one of my closest friends who has the same problem. So she was like the only person I could confide in. And we were both always going from diet to diet and our weight would go up if we were not on a diet, you know, if we were binging on everything and it would go down if we found a new diet to go on. And we were like, that was the basis for our, our friendship. Wow. Sharing this um, secretive addiction. That's crazy. Tell me more about how you overcame food addiction. And I know you help your clients with this today. So tell me more about that process. Sure. So in 2010, I I finally hit rock bottom. I Mm. can't tell you exactly what it was about that time, but I got to the point where I said, I have to figure out how to live as the opposite of a binge eater because all I was doing was binging and dieting and up and down, as I was saying before. So I realized the only way to get out of this mess is to live as the opposite of what I'm currently doing. But again, like this was 45 years later, all I knew was dieting and binging. So I started to just slow the whole process down and ask myself certain questions like, Am I hungry? Um, I had never asked that before because it kind of never mattered in the past. I would just eat because I was compelled to eat. I never thought about whether I was hungry. So I started just asking certain questions like, am I hungry? If the answer was no, then I found myself saying, well, then I'm going to wait until I am hungry. Never did that before. 
And then if I was hungry, I would ask like, what am I in the mood for? Is it? And I started thinking it through instead of just eating whatever was in sight, whether I, you know, my body needed it or wanted it or not, it was more that compulsion. So the opposite would be, well, let me have a conscious conversation with myself. And so what that looked like is, you know, what, what, what am I in the mood for? Is it hot? Is it warm? Is it crunchy? Is it savory? Is it sweet? Like, what is it? And if I didn't know the answer, I would actually wait until it came to me. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what I'm in the mood for. And then I would ask, you know, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? I just started to, as I said before, like have a conscious conversation with myself about food. And I was making decisions. Like I was kind of awake at the plate. I was just tuning in instead of just being on autopilot. And one of the things I realized is that there can't be any foods off limits because Mm. every diet I had ever tried, yes, it worked, but the willpower was like impossible to hold on to. And then once the, the deprivation set in from the willpower, the deprivation leads right back to binging. So I knew there can't be any more diets and I have to have it where there's no foods off limits. I I decided I finally needed to learn how to eat any food in moderation. Mm. Now, over those 45 years, I never ate anything in moderation. I didn't know how ever, but that's that was the process. And as soon as I started to see that I could have conscious conversations, that I could slow it down, that I could make choices and not act on impulse, I started, and this happened like immediately, I started to build some trust in myself instead of thinking, I have no control. This is just who I am. I started to say, well, wait a minute. I don't have to do that. Or I'd ask like, how much of a food, once I decided, you know, uh, what I wanted, I would ask like, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? Mm. Never thought about that before. I always knew when I was going to binge that Ugh, I'm going to be miserable later, but I didn't care. I It didn't matter because I had no control. But when I started asking, you know, how much of this thing, whatever it was, can I eat and be happy when it's over? That shed a whole new light on everything because it, I realized like if I can be happy after everything I eat, Then I can get into bed happy and comfortable. I could wake up the next morning and kind of rinse and repeat. And that's exactly what I did. So as I said before, as soon as I started to see myself making these changes where I was living as the opposite, the exact opposite of a binge eater, I no longer was one. That's so interesting, Julie. There's so much that we can dive into there. And I can't wait to talk more about the self-trust. But something you said earlier on, you mentioned that you were compelled to eat things and that things were a compulsion. And I love the idea of that self-dialogue. When you mentioned that you were compelled to uh, eat certain things, what was driving that compulsion? I think the habit and the belief that I... This is just who I am. Mm. Uh, uh, The other thing in answer to your question is what I found is when you put, like when you infuse your body with a ton of sugar, a ton of flour, physiologically, you can't help it. Like you Mm. really 
because whatever you put into your, let's just call it microbiome or your gut or whatever, it, your body craves more of that. It screams for more of that. So when you put a lot of that in, it's almost like you're walking up a hill, up a hill with high heels. Like you, you just, you, it's tough. It's you're, you're like, um, you just can't seem to shut down that craving because you've given your body so much of it. But what I found is if I give my body just a little bit, a couple of times a day of those kinds of foods, and back then it did have a little sugar or a little flour or whatever, um, it didn't rev my body up to the point where I just craved it and couldn't control myself. And, and so mm. I you know, didn't feel compelled anymore. But every time I was able to eat, let's just say, 10 M&Ms instead of handfuls or I don't know, like a small bag of potato chips instead of sitting down with a huge bag and, you know, then going on to another food. Every time I was able to see myself eat that small amount, it reinforced the fact that that's how I needed to overcome my addiction was to not feel deprived. And I realized that what I needed to do is pay attention to every bite because it's so easy to be eating while we're doing something else. So you're on the, you know, on your phone or you're watching TV or you're doing something else. And then when you're done with the food, you say like, okay, now what can I eat? Because you weren't part of the experience. But once I started to pay attention, so let's just take M&Ms for a minute. If I took, if I decided I could be happy when it's over with 10 M&Ms, let's just say, then I would take one and put it in my mouth and suck on that thing until it was gone. Then I would do the second one. And I'll tell you, by the time I got to 10 of those, I was good to go. I had had enough. It was so much enjoyment. It took a really long time to get through 10 of them. And what that does when you say like, wow, you know, I can eat 10, I can actually enjoy my favorite foods and eat them in a way which fits into what I call the magic zone, which is the very calm place where you're not deprived and you don't feel the need to binge. Mm. So every time I would do this, whether it was eating less of something, like I said, or if I was putting something off and saying, well, I'm not, you know, I'd rather have such and such later to look forward to. Let's say it was going to be one of my two snacks. Um, if I decided that I wanted to wait a little bit because I'd be happier if I had it, let's say after lunch, not at 10 in the morning, seeing myself put it off and not giving into the compulsion led to me not doing that anymore. Because I, I saw like, if I can enjoy whatever I want and I'm not doing it in an amount that's abusing my body, why would I ever want to abuse my body anymore? And it really happened really, really fast. Because all you need to do is start seeing that you can behave differently and then you believe it. Mm. So it sounds like for you, it was definitely not depriving yourself of any food and then also having the sense of mindfulness when you were eating because then you yes. can really experience all of the things that you're eating and then also setting yourself little challenges of maybe when using your willpower for two or three hours because that helped you to build that self-trust and also build that self-control as well. Well, it's interesting you use the word willpower because to me, 
Willpower conjures up fighting against yourself. It's a struggle. It's Mm. like, oh, I hope I can, you know, hold on to my willpower so that I can get the weight off. But gosh, I really want those cookies. It's, It's like an internal struggle. What I did to become the opposite of a binge eater was I came up with the idea of want power. And so everything became, what do I want? So am I hungry? You know, what do I want to eat? How much of it do I want to have and be happy when it's over? What am I in the mood for? You know, like it was all want, which really conjures up choice and freedom. So there is no struggle. There is no willpower. And that's why this works. Because if you're trying to hold on to the willpower, as I said before, it doesn't last very long. You'll get there, you lose some weight, but then, you know, with the frustration and trying to rely on that willpower, you're just going to gain it back and usually plus more. Yeah. And what power is such a powerful way to positively frame that as well. You know, it's like, when do I want my little chocolate or large chocolate? When do I want my broccoli? When do I want something crunchy? When do I want something warm? That is... That's got to be game changing for your clients too. Absolutely. You know, I have a client, this was my favorite of all, um, what I call tricks to make it stick. That's what I teach people how to do, which is to live as the opposite of a binge eater. So um, I used to have daily phone calls with my clients. Um, Now what I do is I use Voxer. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like a one-on-one, like it's a walkie-talkie where we communicate each day and I give them support and accountability daily. So they will, let's, the word is now Vox, um, you know, which is kind of like message me about things and I'll respond to them. So um, one of the clients way back when, when I used to talk on the phone, she said to me, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm in the mood for chili. Now, I don't remember why she was telling me that, but the next day when we spoke, she said, you know, it was really interesting because yesterday I told you I wanted chili and I had realized that I knew I wanted something warm and creamy and chili came to mind. And she said, but after we got off the phone, I thought about it for another minute or two. And I realized like, no, that's not what I want. I think what I want is oatmeal. And then she waited and thought that through. And she said, no, it's not that either. I think I want pizza. No. And then she said, I finally figured out I wanted grilled cheese. So what was so good about the story was she only ate the grilled cheese because that's what her body really wanted. You know, sometimes our bodies like are asking for certain nutrients or again, like a texture or a taste or a temperature. So she was able to save herself probably a thousand calories because she said if she didn't think this through, she probably would have started with the chili, then she would have gone to the oatmeal, then to the Mm. pizza and finally ended up with what she really wanted. So that's the power of figuring out what you want, not fearing the food, but instead using it to your advantage to satisfy what your body's asking for. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. 
I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. I feel like we're not really good at listening what our body wants. We're in, and I, you mentioned it before, you hit the nail on the head. We're so distracted all the time. We're always yes. doing things, running from A to B to Z. How do you figure out what your body wants? Well, it's a really good question. I used to wake up in the morning. I mean, I still do actually, although I do eat the same breakfast every day. But when I first started this, let's just get back to that. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd first ask myself if I'm hungry. And again, if the answer was no, I would put it off. If the answer was yes, I would then ask like, do I want oatmeal or do I want, you know, I don't remember what it was back then, but I probably had two or three different breakfasts I would, you know, um, go back and forth with. And sometimes I didn't know the answer. Like I wasn't sure. So what I decided to do was until I know I'm not doing anything, and it made such a difference because it was so strange. But if I didn't know, within minutes, my body would tell me like, oh, it's definitely the oatmeal or mm, no, it's the eggs or whatever it was I was eating at the time. Um, so it was really just kind of putting it out there to my body and thinking and like taste buds, you know, what temperature, what taste, what kind of flavoring. And again, if I didn't know, I would wait. And it always came to me. Mm. The other thing is, and, um, you know, this is another really important thing is to eat something exactly the way you want it. So let's say somebody likes, okay, let's say somebody goes to a diner or, you know, a restaurant and they want, I'm just going to say an egg white omelet. Now I have to say I'm vegan at this point, but when I first started this in 2010, I was a standard American diet eater. Mm. In 2013, I became whole food plant-based. But so if somebody like myself had gone to a diner and I knew I wanted an egg white omelet. So if I ordered that and it either came as a full egg omelet, or let's say it came 
really like oily and I would have asked for it dry, I would send it back because I wanted to make sure everything I ate is exactly how I wanted it. Because if I ate a full egg omelet, when I was planning to have an egg white omelet, I wouldn't be happy when it's over because I would be having more calories than I wanted and I, it would be tasting differently. Um, or if it came oily, I don't like oily, you know, so that wouldn't have worked. So it's a matter of putting yourself first and figuring out how you really want it. I mean, sometimes I like, I love this place called Smoothie King. They have very healthy smoothies and it's a 20 minute drive each way. But sometimes I'll just realize like, oh, I definitely want that, whether it's for a meal or a snack. I don't care what time of day it is. I will get in my car and I'll go there because my body's telling me, yes, this is what you want. And so if I don't have it and I try to come up with something else, it'll be just like that other client. I'll go from one thing to the next. You know, I'll want to like keep going and I won't have been satisfied. So it's a matter of figuring out what you want so that you're satisfied and satiated way sooner than if you go from food to food to food. Mm, that makes total sense. Otherwise, and I've I've been there before, you know, eat, eating, eating one thing and I've eaten a full meal and I'm like, I still don't feel full. Like, do I need to drink water or like what's going on? And then you end up eating more and it's like, ah, what do I want? <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely, especially I find um, menstrual cycle affects that as well. Um, Typically at a particular point in my cycle, I just want everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's very common. Definitely. So you have a pretty strong experience with diets and experiencing all sorts of diets. So I'd love to know your opinion. You know, we've got, I guess, keto, paleo, you know, the low carb. That's really you know, important, well, not important. It's just prevalent. And also there's the, these other ones like intermittent fastings. I get asked lots of questions on all these sorts of things. My opinion is kind of like, do what works for you, do what your body wants and do what's sustainable. But I haven't experienced going down a rabbit hole with certain diets. I'd love to know your opinion on diets in general and the kind of cost to mental health there and the cost to any other physical health there? Oh, yes. Well, as I was like talking about earlier, I realized in order to get out of this crazy mess I was in that there couldn't be any foods off limits because I had tried Jenny Craig, diet-centered, you know, Nutrisystem, Atkins, Weight Watch. Like I had tried them all many times. And like I was saying, you know, I would always lose weight but I'd always gain it back and then some. So I find that when you come up with any sort of diet, anytime you're told you can't have such and such, or you're only supposed to have such and such, it just, it doesn't last, right? So, I mean, there are plenty of people, you know, I I guess like people who don't have this compulsion or to this extreme, if they want to take off 10 pounds because they've gained some weight and they want to do it using keto or, you know, they want to do something short term. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, I don't, I don't judge what anybody decides to do for their body. As I was saying, I, you know, have gotten to the place where I've chosen whole food plant-based diet uh, or lifestyle because that feels good to my body. 
And, you know, I still eat what I want, but I've, I've removed sugar. I've removed flour, not out of fear, but because I just don't want to do that to my body. I've tweaked my health to a point where I only put the healthiest foods in there. So I, I don't know if I'm going off topic with what you were asking, but in my opinion, whatever works for anybody, kind of like what you were saying, but dieting does not work for the long term, no matter what, if you've got food addiction, because you'll get deprived, you'll go back, you know, dieting leads to deprivation, deprivation leads right back to binging. Mm. So, and, you know, we're not able to see what we're doing, not only to, you know, our physical, like our insides, but emotionally. Um, I used to cancel plans with friends because I used to think like, oh, wait a second. Last time I saw so-and-so, I was much thinner, probably because I had just lost weight on a diet. Mm. So I'm going to have to cancel with her because I'm too embarrassed to be heavier again. You know, I had like clothing from all different sizes. Now I'm a size four. And um, basically I didn't even mention that, you know, in 2010, when I finally figured this out and had hit rock bottom, I went on to lose 90 pounds and I've kept it off for years. And basically I learned how to be a person who eats to live, not lives to eat. Mm. That's, That's really where the magic is is when you use food to nourish yourself, not to abuse your body. Oh, absolutely. Did other people, as somebody who did fluctuate, obviously 90 pounds, did you people respond to you differently when you were in a smaller frame versus a larger frame? Well, I have a lot of support in my life. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, my mom never got to see me at you know, the weight, because she had passed away, the weight that I've gotten to. But um, I just had so many, you know, my husband and my kids and, you know, so many friends just were like amazed because they, yes, they've seen me lose weight, but they've always seen me gain it back. And once they saw like, that weight's not coming back on and she's not only, you know, keeping the weight off, but she eats healthier than anybody I know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that was the journey, you know, that wasn't an overnight thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm really sorry to hear that your mum passed and that she didn't get to see you, um, in that state, but I'm sure she's very proud of you too. I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I am really curious about this, uh, about you moving to a completely plant-based and whole foods diet. The reason I ask is actually a personal, personal note. I loved meat. I just loved meat loved cooking a good steak. And then all of a sudden, I stopped feeling like meat. It was a slow process. It was like I had to break up with my old version of myself. Yes. First, it was like I didn't eat meat at work. Then it was I didn't eat meat at home. I only ate meat when I was out. Now I don't eat meat at all. And when people ask me why I'm a vegetarian, I do still eat eggs. I say, because I felt like it. And that's literally it. So I'm really curious about your journey, having a bit of a 180 and what that looked like for you. Yeah. So mine was totally different. I had found out about, I found out about a test you could take that would predict your risk of Alzheimer's. Now, neither, neither of my parents had Alzheimer's, but I don't know. My husband and I both decided we would take this test. And so, um, 
my my test results showed that I had a pretty significant increased risk of getting the disease. Wow. And I know that it's, yeah, I know that it's an inflammatory based disease. And so I decided if I can, you know, remove all inflammatory foods from my life, then at least I'm doing something to try to prevent it. So I basically went from one day eating grilled chicken salad, which I used to do that a lot for lunch, to the next, literally the next day, like a plant-based diet. And it didn't start out as the healthiest because I was still eating a little bit, you know, like I was still able to eat some, let's just call it vegan junk food because (laughs) I was, you know, I had no problem having small amounts because it had been, you know, a few years already that I was able to trust myself around any kind of food. And so um, it it was a process to get whole food, plant-based, you know, where I've just decided I don't want oil. I don't even own oil because if I need to saute something, I just use vegetable broth, like low sodium Mm -hmm. vegetable broth. Um, So it was a process, but it really stemmed from the concern about getting that disease. And that's what made it easy to switch over because it was pretty scary. And um, my husband had a little bit high cholesterol at the time. So he said, I'll do it with you. And then our, our two older sons were 17 and 19 at the time. So I gave them a presentation, like a back then, a DVD <laughs> to watch. And I said, you know, you guys are old enough to make your own decision. This is what dad that. is going to do. And I gave them a, a presentation by a doctor. And I, we sent them off into another room to watch this one hour presentation and they came back and they said, we're in. And what was so good about that is because they made the decision for themselves. Mm. If I said, okay, you know, starting tomorrow, no more meat, no more this, no more that. They'd probably be eating cheeseburgers and pizza when I'm not looking. You know, I would have set up the same thing that my mom set up for me where I can't eat my favorite foods. I'm going to do it when she's not looking. So this way they were part of the decision-making and my oldest son is married and married someone who's, you know, vegan. My middle son is dating and only wants to marry someone who's vegan. So that it just, it continued because they had a say in it. Mm, That is so cool. I love how you let them make their own decision as well. And they had their own say. And it's so awesome that your husband is supportive as well. It sounds like there's a couple of ways to change behaviors here. There's the, the want power, but then there's also this really big motivation from, and I see this as a personal trainer, you know, it could be a health scare. And then that's why somebody wants to lose weight. Have you observed with your clients and your work in food addiction, Anything else that helps change behavior? Well, what I find is that people do best if they have a compelling why. Mm. So, you know, somebody could be, let's say, a size 18 and they want to be a four. Yes, that I get it. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. But it's not something that's going to incentivize them to do the work that's required for this every day. And when I talk about the work, it's along the lines of what I was talking to you about. Questions. Am I hungry? You know, what am I in the mood for? How much can I eat and be happy when it's over? Do I want it now or later? Like those kinds of things. That's what the work is. So when you do the work, I should say, when you have a compelling why that is short term, 
then you want to do the work because you want to get the reward. So what I like to suggest to people is if they can figure out something that really matters to them, where if they do the work, they're going to get a reward either by that night or the next morning. So they'll either be able to say something to themselves or feel something by the end of the day or the next morning that gives them the reward. And then they wake up the next day and they're ready to go again. So if you, if we go back to what I was saying before about being a size 18 and wanting to be a four, nothing about that gives you incentive to do the work that day. Mm. Because whatever you do today, you're not going to be a Ford by tomorrow or next week or next month or, you know, probably even next year, you know, like who knows. So a really short-term compelling measurable why you have to be able to say, am I getting this reward or am I staying away from this punishment of something I really don't want? So I find that to be important. I also find it important to, um, to stay within the day, I call it like encapsulating the day instead of thinking like, oh, you know, I tried something before and it never worked. So why would this work? Anytime mm-hmm. somebody's in the past or in the future, or like when I talk about the future, like if they're thinking, I want to look, you know, I want to look better when I go to back to school night, or I want to be able to wear such and such dress when I go to the wedding. All of those things take you off the right here, right now, starting to ask the questions and doing the work. Mm. This takes work every day. It's not hard work. I told you what a lot of the work entails. It's not hard, you know, to ask those questions. And when you do it, life's amazing. You feel great. And the weight loss follows. When you don't do it, if you let go of the reins, I tell people, I guarantee they will backslide. If I let go of the reins, I backslide. But whereas I used to be able to gained nine pounds in three days when I was in the heyday of my binge eating. Now, if I get to the point over time where it's like, okay, I'm up two or three or maybe even four pounds, I'll get right back into it. Like, and I never let it get out of control. Mm. Staying within the day, that is such a important thing to do because I find that a lot of people are miserable because they're reflecting on the past where they might think the grass is greener. And, you know, they may have had like 10 years of habits that cause them to get to where they are now. And then they're anxious to get to the future. So after two weeks, it's like, why is the scale not moved at all? (laughs) Yeah. And then I'll show that scale. I'm going to go back and eat everything in sight. Yeah, I know. It's a really, really toxic cycle for sure. Something we haven't spoken about in detail that you mentioned earlier is that sense of building trust in yourself. Why is that so important? Because as a binge eater, there is no trust. And without trust, you just keep um, you keep failing and you don't believe things can ever change. And if you don't truly believe they can change, then they won't. Mm. You know, yet. so if you start to do some of this work and you see that you don't have to be how you were, then you're like, oh, let me try that again. This feels better. And then you get into momentum. So when I talk about tricks to make it stick, these things that I teach people to live as the opposite of a binge eater, the more of them they do each day, the more they get into momentum and they build the trust. If they do one thing a day, one question here or there, 
But if they're not doing, you know, the whole program as is, they're not going to build up that momentum and therefore they don't really build the trust. Mm, That makes total sense. Are there any other behaviors that you can do that help you build self-trust? Hmm. Trying to think. I mean, I gave you a lot here. I'm not really sure um, if I can think of anything else. yeah, we definitely spoke about the um the having having those kind of small habits and and being able to ask yourself questions and stuff like that, but I definitely feel like keeping your keeping your promises is really what building self-trust is. But when you yeah. said tricks to make it stick, I'm like, "Ooh, what other tricks are up her sleeve?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really a lot of what what we were talking about. Amazing. It's powerful mindset shifts Mm. that turn you into a different kind of an eater. Mm. And then life opens up and you get to, you know, you really get your eating under control so you can lose weight and actually keep it off for good. And that's what everybody wants. We've all dieted, lost the weight and gained it back. And that's the frustrating part because when you lose the weight, you're like, oh, wow, maybe this time. I'll hold on to this willpower forever and look how far I've come. But it just, that's not the winning formula. I'm totally with you. I mean, I literally have a goal-getting journal that says, get your goals without burning out because I feel like so many people attack it from that sense of willpower and that sense of almost masculine energy of I need to do more, I'm not doing enough. And by actually getting curious, asking yourself questions, tapping into your intuition of, oh, what does my body actually want? You can approach these things with a sense of ease. And then as you have like lost, lose the 90 pounds, which was your ideal goal, but you're probably not focused on as much because you're coming at it from a sense of enjoyment. Yes. That's where the whole want power comes in. I get to like eat how I want, when I want, you know, and make it exactly the way I want it. Um, and so I'm satisfied and satiated. Mm. You know, it's just a matter of like asking questions and thinking things through and waiting till you get the answers. It's so, you know, when I work with clients and I explain my program to them, they say like, I can't believe I never thought of this before. You know, when I explain the whole program. So what I do is I work with people where, I do a getting started session on a Sunday because starting the very next day. So I'm in the getting started session. I teach them everything they need to know. It lasts about an hour. And then starting the very next day, we begin voxing. As I mentioned before that, like, um, it's kind of like a walkie talkie. Um, I can't think of how else to explain it, but you push a button and you speak and then I hear it beep, beep, beep. And it means somebody sent me a message. I listen to it and then I vox them back. And so we start doing that the following day. So they, they start this immediately. So when, when they vox me on Monday, they're already going to be telling me what tricks to make it stick. They did Sunday after we got off our call. Mm. So it's, you dive right in and you're learning it on Sunday and then you start practicing it on, you know, right away. And you're you're getting support and accountability starting Monday. And we do it where there are, you know, a couple of different ways to do it. One is just um, four weeks, Monday through Friday, of voxing. My husband likes to call it 
uh, Vox around the clock where people can just Vox whenever they want. Now, if I'm sleeping, I'm not going to respond. But, you know, throughout the day, I respond quickly and I give support or I give, you know, cheerleading when they're doing great things. So for four weeks, starting that first Monday, we're Voxing around the clock. Um, And then for somebody who may want to dig deeper into emotional eating, um, which all binge eaters are emotional eaters. And I can help them, you know, with that. But sometimes people feel like they want more of a touch point. So what we do is I have a six-week program where it's, again, you start on a Sunday and then Monday you start with the boxing, same thing. But it's six weeks long and once a week we have a 30-minute call. And that way they go into if they're struggling at all or they just need extra support or maybe they want ideas about recipes or whatever it is they want. Um, so that's that's how it works. Oh, that's awesome. And I bet your clients love that sense of accountability. And and that's what's great about being surrounded by community. Julie, it's been absolutely wonderful having you talk on the podcast today. We are coming to a close here. But before I ask the closing question, we do have a closing question on the podcast, by the way. Is there anything that you feel that you haven't shared today that you want to share with everybody? I don't think so. I think I've given lots of food for thought. Definitely. You know, out there. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> exactly. Julie, if you were to meet your 20-year-old self today, what one sentence of advice would you give her? My 20-year-old self? Yeah. You said, hang in there, baby. It's going to happen. You're going to get there someday, some way. You're going to fix this. You're going to figure it out. Oh, I love that. Julie, I personally learned so much from you. I I love that sense of curiosity around food and asking yourself great questions and building up trust. Where can people find you, get to know more about your programs or just follow you on the socials? Sure. So uh, my website is peacefuleater.com, P-E-A-C-E-F-U-L peacefuleater.com. Um, on Facebook, it is facebook.com slash peacefuleater. And on LinkedIn, um, it's Julie Latz, you know, in, in LinkedIn. So yeah. Wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure, Julie. Thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise with us on the Holistic Fitness Podcast this evening. Well, it's been such a pleasure for me. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. And for everyone listening at home or in the car or wherever you are today, eat well, move well, breathe well. Until next time, keep shining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.